Again, if you didn't uh, uh, catch the uh, series last week, my name is Kevin. I am not our, uh, our, our pastor here. We're between pastors right now, and we're uh, hoping to have a candidate come in and, and speak with us shortly. Uh, so, oh good, slides are working, great. Um, today we're going to be continuing our series called uh, Crisis of Context. Last week we talked about uh, it, the, the importance of reading the Bible in the context that it was written rather than in our own context. Uh, and today I want to talk about the context of reading the scripture as God's self-revelation. And under, in other words, the way God chooses to reveal himself to us, right? Now, now, reading the Bible in this way allows us to ask questions like, you know, what is God like? What are the attributes of God? What does God want from us? You know, th those kinds of things. So, so let's go ahead and explore this a little bit. And, and it, it, it applies both to the Old Testament and to the New Testament, right? In the Old Testament, God is revealing himself to the Israelites. And in the New Testament, God is revealing himself through Jesus, right? And, and just because the Old Testament was written to sort of a, a different group of people, that doesn't mean that there's nothing we can bring out of it, or that we could take out of it. It's the same with the New Testament, right? In a lot of cases, it was written to a Jewish audience. But there's so much in here that if we're looking at how God is choosing to reveal himself, that we can take away from it. So, the, the one thing that I do want to caution folks about is there are some barriers to understanding what God is trying to, to say, how God is trying to reveal himself to us, right? One of those is language. Uh, you know, the Bible wasn't originally written in my native tongue, in, in your native language, right? It was originally written in several different languages, depending on sort of where you are. And, and that can introduce some barriers. Now, I don't want you to come away from this thinking that, um, you know, that that means God's intended message is lost. That, that's not at all where I'm going with this. Just that Translation is difficult, right? Translation is hard. So for, let's say, for example, you're trying to translate something from English into another language, and you run across this phrase, I turned over a new leaf. Now, if you're a native English speaker, you probably have a pretty good idea what this phrase means. But you might not know that it has nothing to do with trees. Uh, what we're talking about here is a leaf of paper or a sheet of paper. The idea is that you're literally flipping over to a blank page so you can start writing with no other context, with nothing else around. It's sort of a, a blank slate if you want to take another idiom, right? So, so when you're starting to do any kind of translation, language can be an issue. And the more you know about the idioms that it was written in, the, the cultural context, the cultural expressions you know, of the original language, the easier it can be to get past some of those barriers and really see what it is God is trying to, to, to say, how God is trying to reveal himself. So, um, and depending on, again, what part of the Bible you're reading, it could be any number of different languages. Um, another potential barrier here is the cultural context. You know, is the text that you're reading from the time when God was revealing himself to Abraham or when the Israelites were, were slaves or, or, or wandering in the desert, um, you know, going into Canaan, time of kings? You know, what, what is the section you're reading? What's the cultural context there, right? Every single one of these has a different cultural context. Maybe it's an eyewitness account of Jesus. Maybe it's a, a letter that was written you know, years and years later. Each of those is a different time. Each of those is in a different culture. And one of the things we talked about last week was how even within the span of a few decades, you know, the culture of an area can shift dramatically. 
Imagine that over, you know, thousands of miles and a thousand years, right? It really gets amplified. Uh, another thing we want to talk about here as a potential barrier is selective hearing. Um, now, selective hearing isn't like hearing loss. That's something very different. This is something I'm familiar with. I've spent a lot of time around loud machinery. Um, hearing loss is more like the guy that goes to the doctor and he gets hearing aids, and then he goes home, and after a couple of weeks, he comes back for a checkup, and the doctor says, so how is your family like in the fact that you can hear again? And he says, oh, I haven't told them that yet. And the doctor's like, yeah, but told them, what have you been doing for the last two weeks? And the guy said, well, I've updated my will like six times. Okay, there you. sometimes it takes a second to make the connection on that one. Now, see, that's about, that's about hearing loss. Selective hearing is when you tune out something just because you don't like it. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to read that. But I want to encourage you to think about this when you're reading scripture. Because if you run across something you don't like, if you run across something you don't agree with, this is a great opportunity. That introduces a hard question. Right? And hard questions are great. Hard questions are how we grow. And I can't think of a better place to ask hard questions than right here in a church setting. Right? Because you've got people either in the chat online or, or, or here in the room that have you know, combined hundreds of years of experience reading through scripture and really wrestling with the same things that you're wrestling with. So selective hearing can be a barrier, but it can also really be an opportunity for us. Uh, another thing I want to talk about here is confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is our tendency to hear something as confirming what we already believe rather than examining what it meant. And uh, one of the ways I like to, to, to think about this is I, I once witnessed a conversation between a mother and her son, I won't say who, um, and no, it wasn't me, uh, but, but the son had been misbehaving and he was being punished and he told his mom, God wouldn't be mean to me the way you're mean to me, right? And her response was, son, the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And he said, exactly. <laughs> he heard it confirming what he already believed, right? He heard, you should spare the rod, you should spoil the child. He did not hear the original context, which was, if you spare the rod, you will spoil the child, encouraging that you, know, you hold people accountable. So, so again, confirmation bias, this tendency we have to hear something and, and to have it reinforce what we already believe, right? Uh, another possible barrier here that we want to talk about is mistaking the literary context. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. It's important to know what section of the Bible you're reading, because that tells you how likely it is that what you're reading is going to be something that you should take literally or something that the original audience would understand to be a beautiful you know, metaphor, you know, some, some sort of poetry or something like that. Um, consider something like this. He told the man to jump off a cliff. Now, to a native English speaker, we sort of understand there's a whole collection of idioms similar to this, like, you know, go jump in a lake, go pound sand, go jump off a cliff. What this means is, I don't want to talk to you anymore, go away. But if you're reading that from a literal context, you come away with a very different expected outcome, right? So when we're talking about these barriers, right, we need to keep in mind sort of what are happening there. And the barriers themselves, they aren't insurmountable, 
But one thing that they do imply is that we need to approach Scripture with a level of humility because it is so easy for us to read through something and think we know what it means outside of its context. Now, if we're reading the Bible as the way God chooses to reveal himself to us, that can be a problem, right? If what we're reading is just reinforcing what we already believe, we're not actually trying to hear how God is revealing himself to us. So any discussion about the concept of, Bible, of the Bible as God's self-revelation does sort of lend itself to this question about, well, what about the Old Testament versus the New Testament, right? You know, head to head versus each other. How many of you think that the Old Testament is about one God and the New Testament is about a different God? Okay, anybody? How many people think that? Right, most people think, well, this is, this is the same God. But a lot of times when we're reading different sections of the Bible, we think, man, God seems to have changed a lot between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, why is that? More to the point, why do we think that? Is it because there are two separate gods in the sections? I don't think that's, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Is it because the nature of God's existence has radically changed between the two books? That doesn't seem likely either. It seems more likely that we're sort of reading things and reading into things and coming away with our own misunderstanding here. It comes back to this idea of if God is revealing himself, we need to approach scripture with humility. Be willing to say, I don't know why that's there. I don't know what this means, right? Admitting you don't know something is the beginning of the learning process, right? You can't learn something if you think you already know everything about it. So when we're reading through scripture, as the way God reveals himself, we get this series of glimpses of the attributes of God, right? And that, that, that's kind of what we're after here, right? We want to know more about God. We want to know more about sort of, sort of what are his attributes. And, and, and it's a bit more than that, though, right? Because literally anyone can sit down and list the attributes of God. You certainly don't have to be a Christian to do that. You could be an atheist, and you could probably list some attributes of God, right? But if you're reading through Scripture this way, and you come across a series of attributes, that means you can, as a Christian, let it reframe your worldview, right? If you're reading through scripture and God reveals himself to be a God of tremendous forgiveness and grace and mercy, can you as a Christian withhold that from other people? If it's reframing your worldview, right? If it's giving you an opportunity to do that self-introspection, I don't think you can, which is kind of one of those things where sometimes you're reading through the Bible and you're like, ooh, I don't like that because it's convicting me, <laughs> right? It's reminding me that, yeah, 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 I, I don't like the people that, that support that particular pol politician or, or, or whatever. No, no, you're, you're not allowed. You're allowed to not like them, but you're not allowed to not have grace, to not have forgiveness, to not have mercy, to not love everyone, right? When, when Jesus was asked, you know, what does it mean to love people? He didn't say, well, you should love your family and you should love your friends. He's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you a story about a guy who loved the worst people in his society, right? That's sort of where we're going with that. So, 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 so 
when we're reading through the Old Testament, when we're reading through the New Testament, we, we get to see these ideas of, of God's attributes in action. And God chooses to reveal himself mostly through these covenants, right? Um, in the Old Testament, God's revealing himself through the covenant he makes with the Israelites. And whether the Israelites stick to the covenant or not, God does, right? So we see that sort of revelation of God through that covenant. In the New Testament, we see that through Jesus, right? And the attributes of Jesus are the attributes of God, right? So, 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 so let, let's, we could start right at the very beginning, right? If we start at, we talked last week about the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Bible. This is the, the law, the law of Moses, you know, that, that, that thing. If you start in Genesis, the vast majority of Genesis is not about creation, right? That's a very small section of it. It's not about Cain and Abel. It's not about you know, the Tower of Babel. It's not about the flood. The vast majority of Genesis is God makes a covenant with Abraham and his family. And that's the vast majority of it. And how God chooses to lay down the different rules of that agreement give us a lot of insight into the nature of the attributes of God, right? The whole rest of the Pentateuch is about God establishing a covenant relationship and agreement with the Israelites, right? After they've been wandering in the desert and they're getting ready to you know, go into the promised land, we see this great example of God showing us who he is through these agreements. You go directly from there into Joshua. The book of Joshua is this wonderful example where we see all of the different ways that God upholds his end of the bargain. And Joshua is followed by Judges. What do we know about the book of Judges? It is literally the Israelites showing that they cannot stick to the agreement. Over and over and over again, they break this covenant relationship. And what do we learn about God? I don't know about you, but I am constantly amazed at how many times God goes, okay, okay, I know, you messed up, come back into this relationship with me. He doesn't just write them off, right? He comes back again and again and again. We're talking about that God of forgiveness, that God of grace. These are the attributes we see over and over again. Hmm, okay, well, what about when we go into the book of Samuel and the book of Kings, right? Now we see the establishment of what they call the Davidic company, uh, 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 the Davidic covenant, the, the covenant of David, uh, uh, of the covenant of kings, right? Where we see the establishment of the kingship, and now here God is showing himself to be a God that lives up to his word. He told Abraham, you know, a line of kings will descend from you, and boom, here it is, right? But, but more than that, as you go beyond this and you get into the prophets, you start to see, hey, there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new agreement. Then you get into the Gospels, and you see that new covenant in action through Jesus, right? And then all of these people that weren't there to be eyewitnesses get all of these letters about it. So, so, so we see that throughout the Old and the New Testament, God reveals himself through these covenants. And, and I want to take a step back and really think about what that implies. Because if you've studied history, especially if you've studied ancient religions, one thing you will know about gods at the time that we're talking about, they don't make and keep agreements with people, right? They tend to be pretty arbitrary. They tend to be downright capricious, right? Think about 
the Greek gods, the Roman gods, you know, the, the gods of Babylon, of Assyria, these are not gods that are going to bind themselves, especially if somebody else breaks that agreement, right? So we see the attributes of God, but the more we know about the context in which these, the, these letters, in, in which these books are written, it starts to really just sort of drive home, wow, this is a very different God than what we've seen anywhere else in history, right? And so if we're reading the Bible as God's self-revelation, well, we could talk about authorship, right? Does that, we, we, we sort of have to say, well, okay, if we're saying the Bible is the way God reveals himself, then we sort of have to assume that God was the one who was in control of the writing, right? That God is the source. So despite the fact that you have, you know, dozens of authors over dozens of books over hundreds or thousand years, right? You've still got that same God, the one who's writing it. The attributes are going to be consistent. And that means we really have to be careful what we're reading, right? So I hope I have sort of made a case for at least thinking about reading the Bible as the way God reveals himself to us. But more importantly than that, I hope I haven't scared anyone away from reading the Bible, because I do want to point out that you don't need a theology degree to read the Bible, right? There is plenty to be gained from just reading it at face value. Um, in a lot of cases, I would say, if you've never read the Bible before, you just have no idea what's going on, start with the book of John, right? This is a great place to start, to get an idea of Jesus, right? And to start to, start to see some of those attributes of God. If you've been reading the Bible for a long time, I want to challenge you to take the time to think about the context of what you're reading, even if it's just what section of the Bible am I in, and what does that imply about what I'm reading, right? Think about it in its context. Think about it as God is attempting to reveal himself to me through whatever I happen to be reading. What does that mean? So I would say that's, that's my challenge to you for this week. Read through something, right? If you've, if you've never read the Bible, start. You know, if you, if you haven't read the Bible in a while, pick it up again. And, and don't feel like you have to know everything about it to get started. But do think about it in that context, right? Dig deeper and, and, and try and explore those different contexts behind how God is trying to reveal himself to you. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would be faithful to your promise that if we seek after you, we will find you. Uh, I pray that as we continually read through the Bible, and as we read through this week, that, that we would take the time to really try and understand what is it you are attempting to convey. I pray that whatever I've set up here hasn't distracted people from what you wanted to say to them. I pray for our next pastor, whoever that may be. Would you begin preparing them right now for the work that you want to do in this neighborhood, in this church? And would you prepare us for whatever changes might be coming, that we wouldn't be resistant to whatever's going to happen, but that instead we would be 100% devoted to whatever it is you want to say to this location at this time. 
Um, I pray for our pastoral candidate who's been sick. Um, God, would you heal that family? Um, yeah, it's got to be tough missing, a, missing an interview. That's got to add all kinds of stress. But, but would you bring your healing and would you bring your sense of comfort? I pray for our church in this time between the pastors that, that you would continue to challenge us to grow ourselves. That the work of the church is not, does not require a pastor. All it requires is you. And we ask that you would work through us. In your name, amen.